Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. Good morning. So it's good to be back after being away last week. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed hearing from Fritz Marr. I know I really appreciated what he had to say. And uh, whether Fritz knew it or not, he was actually bringing our Christ the Healer series to a close. Um, we, uh, we spent about two months looking at the healing miracles of Jesus, and uh, we're going to start a, a new series, a new theme this week. But before we do that, I just want to cap off that series with an invitation. Uh, you guys might know that we have a prayer team that meets to pray over the connection cards every week. Uh, that team is made up of myself, Keith, Andrea Redfern, uh, Vicki Oldham, and Kim Erickson. And um, we just wanted you to know uh, that if you ever want to receive prayer in person, uh, we, we want to be able to make that possible. So uh, you can always email prayer at stpaulswire.org, and those on the prayer team will receive a message from you. And uh, if you want to set up an appointment to be prayed over, we can do that. Uh, we meet here at the church uh, with you and uh, try to find a team a time that works best for everybody. So if we were, uh, as we were going through the series, you kept thinking of some physical thing that you wanted healing from or um, some emotional hang-up you have that you would like inner healing for, uh, we just want to welcome you to email us uh, so that we can make time to pray over you. So uh, don't be shy. Um, all right. So I'm calling our new series On the Way to the Cross. Uh, believe it or not, Good Friday and Easter are only about a month away. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is just looking at a few stories that I think will help prepare us for Holy Week. And the story that we're looking at today is Jesus' transfiguration. Uh, in seven years here, I don't think I've ever preached on the transfiguration. And so I'm excited about this. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 27. Luke 9, 27. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together. And we just invite you right now to help us to attend to you, to attend to the scriptures. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us, speak to our hearts and minds. Even if our minds wander, may your spirit speak to us as they wander. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. 
Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So, this strange and fascinating event is known as the Transfiguration. It's recorded in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, The word transfigured doesn't actually appear in Luke's Gospel, but it does in Matthew and Mark. It says that Jesus was transfigured. And that means that he took on a different appearance, an appearance where his true glory shone through his earthly body. Luke says that he became bright as a flash of lightning. Mark says that his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Uh, I'm sure that was especially impressive in the days when it was hard to do laundry, right? Uh, Matthew says that his face shone like the sun. And all three of the transfiguration accounts are preceded by that first verse that we read. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now that line causes confusion for some people. Maybe it's caused confusion for you. I know it's caused confusion for me, because many people hear Jesus say that, and they assume that he's talking about his second coming, right? That's when we'll see the kingdom of God. But of course, that's problematic, because um, second coming hasn't happened yet, and everyone who was standing there is no longer with us, right? So either Jesus was wrong, or he meant something else when he said, see the kingdom of God. So, what might he have meant? Well, he could have been referring to his crucifixion, could have been referring to the resurrection, could have been referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You could make a strong argument for all three of those things because all three of those things were moments where the kingdom of God was inbreaking into our fallen world. But I don't think it's any accident that Jesus talks about people seeing the kingdom of God right before Jesus' glory is revealed in the transfiguration, right? Because who were some of the people who were standing right there when Jesus said this? Well, it was Peter, James, and John who were about to see Jesus in his glory, right? So they they were getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God and seeing Jesus revealed in that way, right? Now, as Jesus was transfigured, two men appeared alongside him. Moses and Elijah. Now, many biblical scholars have noted that Moses and Elijah are good representatives of 
what we would call the Old Testament. The, the way that people would describe the whole of the Hebrew scriptures was the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. prophets. <clears throat> and uh, Moses is a great representative of the law, right? Because the law came through him, delivered on Mount Sinai. And then Elijah is just an especially revered and respected prophet from Israel's history. So, there at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, representatives of the Hebrew scriptures. And we're told that Jesus speaks to Moses and Elijah about his departure. His departure. And he says that his departure would come to fulfillment soon in Jerusalem. Now, here's something interesting. The Greek word translated here as departure is the word exodus. And so it's fitting because Jesus is speaking to two people who were known for exoduses, Moses and Elijah. He's talking about his exodus to two significant figures in Israel's history known for their own exoduses. So... Moses might be, is probably the more obvious one here, right? Moses is known for leading the Israelites in their exodus out of Egypt. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses was God's appointed person to help lead them out of that, right? And it was that action, that exodus, that then created the nation of Israel. Now, Elijah is also known for an exodus, and in his case, the exodus is referring to his death, which... Uh, that word exodus can also refer specifically to death, to uh, deceasing, right? And Elijah, he had this very unique exodus out of this life. Uh, we might say he had a very easy death because in this strange passage in 2 Kings, it tells us that Elijah didn't really die, but he was given this special blessing of being taken up to heaven in a chariot on a whirlwind, so he was always remembered as having this special blessing of this, not a death, but like a translation into heaven. Okay. So Moses and Elijah, two men, two exoduses. And Jesus is talking to them about his exodus. Like Moses, Jesus is going to lead an exodus. And like Elijah, he's going to exit this life in a special way. So what might that conversation have sounded like? Well, I like to imagine Jesus saying something like this. Moses, my friend, you led Israel's exodus out of slavery. But soon I will lead an even greater exodus. Soon I will lead an exodus for all of humanity, for all who are willing to follow me. An exodus out of slavery to the power of sin and death. But unlike you, Moses, I'm going to have to exit this life in order to lead my exodus. My exodus will be the cause of the exodus. Because the power of sin and death cannot be broken unless I die. And then I imagine him turning to Elijah and saying, Elijah, 
I wish I could have an exodus like you did. I wish I could be taken up to, into heaven on a chariot. But I, my exodus will not be to heaven on a chariot, but to Sheol on a cross. My exodus will not be bliss, but agony and humiliation. But the exodus that I endure will open the way for humanity's exodus out of death and into life. It won't be long now. It will be fulfilled soon in Jerusalem. Maybe it was something like that. But whatever it was like, it seems that Peter, James, and John probably didn't hear all of it. uh, Because it says that they were very sleepy. Now that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Uh, I don't think that they were very sleepy in the way that we tend to think of sleepiness. Uh, Several of the accounts tell us that they were very frightened. Sleepiness and being very frightened don't usually go together, right? So the sleepiness that seems to be uh, being described here is a uh, losing consciousness in the presence of something overwhelming. Overwhelming glory is making them lose consciousness. But we're told that when they woke up and Peter once again saw the glory of the three of them standing there, he offered a suggestion. And um, apparently it wasn't a great suggestion. Luke says he didn't really know what he was saying. And Mark says he did not know what to say. He was so frightened. So You know when you have one of those moments where, I don't know, it's awkward, you know that you should say something, but you're at a loss for words, but you just say something anyway because you're supposed to say something? You know, those of us who are socially awkward, we know what this is like. So I imagine Peter being like that here, right? He's like overwhelmed by this, feels like somebody's got to fill in the silence with something, and so he speaks, and he says this first thing that comes to mind, which is... Master, it's good. It's good for us to be up here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, let's set up camp here. Let's bask in the glory. Let's just hang out on this mountain. You know, it'll be you and Moses and Elijah, and people will come from all over, and this is where we'll build the kingdom of God from. But what Peter still hasn't understood is that Jesus can't just bask in splendor yet. Right? First, he has an exodus, a departure to make, a departure through a cross. And Peter's suggestion is a, it, it's not quite right for another reason, too. And hopefully that will become clear in a little bit why that is. Luke says that a cloud overshadows them, and a voice from within it says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Some translations say, my chosen one. Listen to him. And with that, Moses and Elijah disappear. And then only Jesus is there. Now let's think about the significance of this. The transfiguration is a special moment 
not only because Jesus glowed, but because that whole event tells us something about Jesus' relationship to what we would call the Old Testament, to the law and the prophets. And it tells us two things about Jesus' relationship. So the first is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So the fact that Jesus is communing with Moses and Elijah tells us that Jesus knows them and they know him, right? It tells us that Jesus is part of a story that Moses and Elijah are part of too, right? It's a reminder that God was with Moses and Elijah, speaking through them. So what's happening with Jesus is connected to what happened in the Old Testament. Absolutely. It's all part of the same story. And Jesus himself describes this relationship that he has to the Old Testament in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think. I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, don't think I've just come to toss out everything that happened before me. Don't think that I've come to disregard the law and the prophets, to pretend they don't exist, to act like they don't matter. I haven't come to do that. I've come to fulfill them. Now, how should we think about this, this this word fulfill? One way of thinking about the word fulfill is, I have come to accomplish their purpose. The law and the prophets, I have come to accomplish their purpose. Well, what was their purpose? Their purpose is the union of God and humanity and the peace and restoration of God's creation. That's the purpose of the law and the prophets. But the law and the prophets could not accomplish that on their own. But they could point us to the one who can, to Jesus. Here's another way of thinking about this word fulfill. Let's say you are really invested in a a series of books. And you just love this story, you're engrossed in it. And you find out the last book in the series is coming out. And so you run out and you buy it. You might say, I hope the author can fulfill this story. And what you would mean by that is, I hope the author is able to incorporate everything that's happened in the story so far and bring it together in a way that feels right, but still surprises me. Right? You don't, you don't want to see the exact ending, ending coming from, you know, the first book, you want to be surprised a little, but not in a way that feels like it's thrown out or disregarded everything that happened already, right? When a story lands that ending, sticks it, (laughs) the story has been fulfilled. And when the ending is really good, it actually changes the way that you think about earlier parts of the story, right? You can go back and see them in a different light, And this is what Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament is like. He incorporates all the earlier parts of the story, 
But he does do it in a way that is often surprising. He fulfills the story. So that's the first thing that the transfiguration tells us about Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament. But here's the second thing. It also suggests that now we should be giving priority to Jesus' teaching. When the voice of God speaks from the cloud, it doesn't say, these are my sons, listen to them. Right? It says, this is my son, listen to him. Right? Speaking to, of Jesus. Right? And then Moses and Elijah disappear, and only Jesus remains. Now, I want to be careful about how I say this, because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. The Old Testament is incredibly important. But now we are called to give priority to Jesus' words. Because when the voice of God spoke in the presence of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, it said, listen to Jesus. Now, let me give an example of how this might work practically. Okay, let's say you're doing your yearly Bible reading, working your way through the whole, the whole Bible, and you come to 2 Kings, chapter 1. At the beginning of 2 Kings, there's a very interesting story from the end of Elijah's life. Okay, the prophet Elijah, the one who just appeared with Jesus at the Transfiguration. The king of Samaria wants to find Elijah. We're not entirely sure why. Does he want to kill him? Does he just want to talk to him? The text doesn't make it entirely clear. But the king of Samaria wants to talk to Elijah, and so he sends a captain and 50 men to go and find him. And this is what the text says happens. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Then fire fell down from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his fifty men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now, have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. So, the prophet Elijah called down fire from heaven that consumed and killed 102 Samaritans. Boom, incinerated. So, how, how do you react to that? How do you feel about it? Do you think, uh, is that power still available? I'd like some of that. Right? 
do you think, um, well, you know, they had it coming. I mean, my goodness, 50 soldiers show up? You know, Elijah had to protect himself. Or do you think, you know, it makes me uncomfortable that a prophet of God would snuff out that many human lives that quickly. How do you react? Well, just sit with that for a moment. However you react to this story, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, that means that you do have to give priority to Jesus' words, right? So what might Jesus have to say about this? Well, let's go back to Luke 9, same chapter with the transfiguration, and let's just go ahead 15 verses to verse 51. This is what it says. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan, Samaritan village, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? The disciples thought that that was a reasonable question because they knew the story of Elijah. Elijah called down fire on 102 Samaritans. And so when the Samaritan village is not hospitable to Jesus, they think, well, maybe now is the time to call down some fire from heaven, right? Remember in the scriptures when Elijah burned up all those Samaritans? It must be time. It must be time to do that. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, good for you, James and John. You know your Bible. Light them up. <laughs> no, he rebukes them. Right? And if you have an old King James Bible, um, that includes a detail here that more modern Bibles leave out. Because we have more manuscripts now, so we have a better sense of what was in the original manuscripts than they did when they put the King James Version together. But... Some of the early manuscripts have Jesus saying, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And you can imagine if that's what he said, the disciples being like, yeah, the spirit of Elijah. But what Jesus says here is, hey, regardless of what Elijah did, this vengeful spirit that you're demonstrating right now is not of the Spirit of God. After Jesus rebuked the disciples, they had a choice to make about what to do with their vengeful spirits. And what they would do would depend on who they gave priority to. Are they going to give priority to this story about Elijah? Or are they going to give priority to what Jesus has just said to them? Elijah or Jesus? And hopefully James and John remembered what they had just experienced in the transfiguration. And they remembered the voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. Elijah, he is an important part of God's story. 
He is a prophet of God, but he was not the son of God. All of the Bible matters, but when it comes to how we live our lives, we have to give special priority to Jesus because we're not Mosesians, we're not Elijahians, we're Christians, right? Christ followers. And the reason that I'm emphasizing this is because if we don't read the Bible this way, if we don't give priority to Jesus, we can slide into using the Bible to justify some unchristlike things. The correct way to read the Bible as followers of Christ is not to say, oh, well, Elijah called down fire from heaven. Jesus rebuked that, so we got to meet somewhere in the middle, right? We want to do justice to the whole council of scripture. So, you know, sometimes you call down the fire from heaven, and sometimes you do this loving your enemies, forgiveness, mercy stuff. You, you, you know, you just you try to weigh the scales, and, you know, you just you figure out in the moment, depending on how you feel, which kind of thing you want to do. Because we got to, you know, we got to incorporate all of it. We do need to incorporate all of it, but we need to incorporate all of it recognizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. The transfiguration tells us that the right approach to scripture is to recognize that voice of God that declares, this is my son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah did great things. God was with them. But Jesus leads an exodus greater than Moses. And he departed this life through a sacrifice far greater than Elijah. The fulfillment of the law and prophets has come, and so let's set our eyes on him and let him lead our exodus out of sin and death. Amen? Lord, we want to be faithful followers of Christ. And we want to learn how to, how to read the scriptures well. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be able to see all the ways that you fulfill through Christ everything that proceeded in the law and the prophets. Help us to give that all, all of that the honor, respect it deserves. But, Lord, help us to recognize that we must give priority to your words through Christ, your revelation through Jesus, to help us to understand all of it. Father, uh, help us, Lord, not to be the kind of people who are vengeful, the kind of people who are eager to call down fire on people who disagree with us or uh, reject us, but rather help us to be the kind of people that follow you to Calvary, willing to demonstrate sacrificial love, even love of enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.